This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled upon the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hello, people. How are you doing? You catch me today, still in my pyjamas, just putting on a tray of bite-sized hash browns. They've just come out of the freezer. Feeling a little bit delicate after a night out yesterday. My guest today is the amazing stand-up actor and writer, Ashlyn B. She's done Live at the Apollo. She's hosted If I Got News For You. Season two of her creation, This Way Up, is on Channel 4 right now. It's being watched by what feels like absolutely everybody. I honestly think she's one of the funniest people in comedy. I know I'm not the only one. It feels like her career is just on the verge of stratospheric. Ashlyn's been back in Ireland for a little while seeing her mum and we're going to talk over video call. I cannot wait to see the snack she has sent for me. Ashlyn B, welcome to Comfort Eating. (gasps) Thank you very much for having me. Grace Frank Dent. I kind of tend to guess people's middle names just in case I'm right. You're absolutely right, it is Frank. Look at you lying there in a hotel bed like the Queen of Sheba. You were supposed to say, look at you there in your office in central London with your 20 staff. You must be doing so well rather than in bed with no trousers on doing a podcast. Do you know something though? Everyone in London, the streets rock with people talking about you right now and you're missing it all. Look at you just lying about with no pants on. I am missing it all. Yeah, it'll be very different now to go back and just be treated like I've always expected to be treated. (laughs) I do kind of think I was a very arrogant teenager and I'm always glad in a way that success has come later because I do worry if I got like successful in my early 20s, I would have been a knobhead. And like, you know, people write letters to themselves at 16 and they're like, oh, you know, tell yourself how well you're doing. If I wrote a letter to my 16 year old self and I'd said it will take you till your mid 30s to get a television show, she'd be like, what went wrong? So this is the part of the podcast where I found out what famous guests eat in the privacy of their own homes. This is the snack that brings them comfort when there's no one else around. Now, out of all of my people that I've interviewed so far, this is the most ornate setup 
I've had to date. I have a toaster in front of me and I have an enormous bag of things to go with it. Ashley, what am I about to eat? May I present to you, MasterChef Judge, my dish this evening for you. It is potato waffles <laughs> with Kerrygold butter melted into them after they're toasted hot. So that brings the salt element to it. And if you think you haven't had enough salt, then hold on, because there's a big bowl of microwaved spaghetti hoops about to be put on top of the butter and the potato waffles. So it's two different countries' <laughs> worth of carbohydrates, both Italy and Ireland, coming together with a butteriness and that all mushed up together. And it's delicioso. Ten bird's-eye potato... You can smell them already. The bright red box of happiness. I've done many things that sometimes gain a reaction online or whatever like that, but I have yet to do anything, including my television show, that has garnered the attention of a simple video on my Instagram of me cooking my potato waffles in the toaster. What? Dangerous? No. Twice down, maximum heat, perfect... Uh, from frozen, perfect potato waffle dinner. <laughs> Look... I believe that you can toast them because I toast them too. I'm going in. I didn't know until someone tweeted me that when it says six on a toaster, that means six minutes. Did you know that? Well, people say that, but I don't think that the toaster has the brains and the ability to do that. So I just think that's the thing that people tell you at parties. Oh, is it? Because I always feel like only a minute or two has passed. Well, exactly. I'm now going to put a, a fork and get it out and probably electrocute myself. Is it a wooden fork so, or is it... Um, do you know it's a wooden fork? It's a wooden fork. I'm opening the Kerrygold. Because I absolutely am the person who just sticks a metal fork in the toaster. What a way to go. I'm going to have a mouthful. I'm honouring your recipe here. Are you eating those cold? No, no, no. Absolute great time. I can see from your face that's a great time. I've never buttered a potato waffle before. Oh, my God, Grace, it's potato. You know when you're like, you think you're an influencer and sometimes you get offered money to do things. I don't take any money to like promote things. But I really haven't been given any money by the things I do promote, <laughs> that like butter and waffles. And I'm like, at some point, Kerry Gold, are going to have to get in touch and give me at least a free chunk of butter. How did you get into this dish? Why do you find it comforting? I grew up in a single parent house and I remember one of my friends with two parents were like, oh, we never microwaved anything. And I was like how do you and I think if you're a parent on their own you need a microwave and that was probably the biggest thing to happen to parents in the 80s and 90s was when microwaves became affordable um and so many dinners in a microwave healthy stuff it's not like we ate badly but it's just a very easy mushy like a little comforting hug and it appears in both series of this way up and it is sort of yeah. an ode to my own sister because of how many yeah. we eat You've been talking about series two of This Way Up on Channel 4, which you wrote and you star in. Can you briefly describe what it is? Yes, actually, because it, I suppose nothing much happens. It's about sort of life. At the core of it is a pair of sisters played by Sharon Horgan and myself. And I suppose it's a sound I know is a sound of sisters. And I think the core love is the sisters and... That's what I love writing. And those scenes take me so little time to write. They were the bits that would kind of tumble out of me. But every other bit, like plot or having to edit it back and stuff, that's oh pure hell and hate and uh, suffering in a way that's absolutely not suffering at all. 
in comparison to most people's lives. But um, in series one, Sharon's character and my character are having a fight. She's like, I want to eat my waffle. And I'm like, can I even have a bite? She's like, no, fine, you can have one. <laughs> the, the sort of things I would fight my sister over growing up were always like a bite of something. Because yeah. I would rather go and make someone a full meal than if I'm about to sit down and just eat a small thing, give them a bite. Like, it's just, like, I don't want to give you a bite, but I, I love you. And you know when you love someone and you would do anything for them except just, like, get up to get them a glass of water from the couch. Well, then that's families being together. It's often really, it, it's not worth getting up sometimes even to pee because everyone's got a list. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I'd rather piss myself than get a single cup of tea for these people who I would give up anything for. You were born Ashling O'Sullivan in Kildare, a small town about 30 miles west of Dublin, to mum Helen and dad Brian. Tell me about you as a little kid. How would you describe yourself then? Very similar to now. I've been home for the last two weeks in Ireland and my mum's packing up her house and I was finding like old copy books. And um, all of the complaints for me were that I was talking too much. And what you have to do as well, because it's very Catholic, is you have to write in your own words the note home. So I was talking today, I'm very sorry. I really was talking to myself. And there was weeks of the exact same over and over again. Today I was once again talking. I don't know why I do it. I don't know why I do it. And it was just all these like seven, eight, nine year old Ashlings just going, I can't, I still cannot explain to you why I was talking, but I promise you I didn't mean a teacher. All the best, Ashling O'Sullivan. And there were all of these, and it was so sad in a way to just see a child going, I don't know why I did it, man. Like, like you see in kind of like line of duty when a criminal breaks down in an in, in a interrogation and can't work out why they did it. So what kind of food were you eating as a child? Our lunchbox, so we don't have canteens in most of the schools in Ireland. You, so you bring a lunchbox is the thing. And my mother, honestly, this went on until I was 18. My mother made my back lunch until I was 18. Bless her. I mean, and I'm like, not even bless her. Like, I don't think, I think we just never suggested that she shouldn't do it. And we would have every day a frozen bread roll that my mother would hack in the morning in half with a knife with much danger, put butter on the frozen bread, this is plain white bread roll, and by lunchtime at one o'clock, everything was perfectly defrosted. The ham was kept fresh. The butter was still fresh. And it was just a great idea. But that's so dangerous, cutting something frozen with a knife. When you're still wearing your dressing gown, you've got one eye open and you're trying to get kids out the door. Like every school day for, how long do you go to school for? I suppose you go to school for about, what, 14 years? Mm -hmm. Mammy had this packed lunch that we'd have and then we'd have like a bit of fruit and a bar in it. And we just ate that every single day for school. But where were you taking this packed lunch at 19? Were you just like, we're taking it to nightclubs? No, 18. No, we went, I went to school until I was 18. I wasn't still having a packed lunch at 19. God, if, if only, Grace, <laughs> if only. She shot down the suggestion when I moved to Dublin. I was like, so you're not even going to bring it to university? Did you have any kind of special treats when you were a kid? What was your go-to snack? I think I don't have a bad old relationship with food because my mother didn't, there was neither stigma attached to it or like deprivation in any way but we had a something nice tin 
And I thought that was yeah. the name for the tin that every house had. Something nice. And now you say it, it sounds so pathetic. Something nice. And it was just a biscuit tin. We called it the something nice tin. And my mother would be like, well, we go get something nice. What was in the something nice tin, ideally? What was jackpot when you opened that tin? Timeout bars were big in our house and they stopped kind of selling them as much. And it's been... Sometimes when my mom comes to visit, she's like, now don't get anything, don't get anything in for me. And we'll kind of like get a load of like croissants maybe or nice bits in and she'll come in and go, no, 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 I'm very simple. All I want is a cup of tea and a timeout. And I'm like, the one chocolate bar that is close to impossible to find in the UK. <laughs> Since about 1998, yeah. Both of your parents were in the horse business. Your dad had been an equine vet and your mum was a jockey. What part did that world play in your childhood? I often say that it's like if you grow up in a town of magicians, you don't notice people walking around with wands. Like in Harry Potter, only he who didn't grow up in the magical world, you know, goes, whoa, Diagon Alley and look, a hat that talks. Whereas all of the other people are like, yeah, so, duh, you know, that's, that's just how life is. We're wizards, man. So that's kind of what I'm like with horses, that my whole town is around the Curra Racecourse, which is a very horsey area. Most people, it's, it's like army, but even the equine side of the Irish army is based there. Loads of people are involved in the industry, trainers. There were other people whose parents were jockeys or who worked in stables and stuff like that. So... Um, everyone was used to a stable job, Grace. <laughs> just just to say the screen hasn't frozen. I'm just... <laughs> oh, you are actually mesmerised by that joke. <laughs> Fantastic. And is it any wonder that I didn't end up in a stable job? <laughs> that was just... I mean, you know, you can leave one of those jokes in, if any. Do you... Um, do you do, I mean, do you love horses? Well, what was really interesting was we grew up with like so many horses there, but all I wanted to do was sit inside and watch the telly and get on telly. And I was completely mesmerised with television. We only had two television stations growing up, especially on kids TV. They brought in a lot of American shows like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Moesha and Sister Sister and just these American cartoons like the Animaniacs. And it was all American. You know, there's that song, I'm not sure who sings it, it's from like about 10 years ago, I think. And it's like, oh, my love, watching America. Oh, you're talking about Razor Life. Razor Life. Yeah, all my life watching America. Oh. Yeah, I think that's it. And I remember when I first started going to America for acting, I was like, oh, I'm in. This is what I thought it would be because yeah. all of our culture was defined by America. I remember when basketball players started wearing those rip-off trousers, which I'm starting to see more. And Irish people were suddenly wearing basketball trousers, despite having no cultural connection to basketball at all. And everything was American influenced. Like when Pop-Tarts came out, we all wanted to eat Pop-Tarts because they finally made it over to Ireland. And so it was a kind of horses everywhere. But my focus was on American culture. Your father died when you were just three and your sister, Sinead, was a baby. And from then on, for much of your childhood, you were surrounded by women, your mum, but also your aunts. Yeah. And all of your aunts. I couldn't count how many aunts that you had. Let me have a little think. Hilda, Geraldine, Jacinta, Rita, Marion, Bernie. So that's six on my mother's side and then two on my dad's side. So that's eight aunties in total and only one uncle. And we're all quite like alpha especially on my mother's side of the family, all very gregarious talkers. And so there's 
there's lots of noise and chat. The sort of family who people assume are drunk but don't drink that much. And then I went to an all-girls school with no male teachers, only uh, female teachers, until I was 18. And so I'm kind of like an experiment in what happens if you leave someone unattended by the patriarchy. (laughs) And it goes back, like, this is what happens, you know. So from a very early age, what do you think that you understood about being female? Nothing. And that was the beauty of it. It wasn't pointed out. Only when I went to university and I joined the sketch group, who were full of lovely people, but it was mostly an all-male sketch group. And it took me years, actually, to work out what was happening and my frustration. And it was like not realising you were in a different culture. Because I didn't know I was a woman until I was about 18 or 19. And I think I kind of only after 18 embraced like, you know, feminism and would have naturally been doing all the things you'd hope to have or do before that. And my granny was like in charge of her family. She was the first woman to wear trousers in her town and she led on horseback like a farmer's protest as they kind of walked to Dublin from Leash. And, you know, it was miles and miles and miles to get to Dublin to protest. My mother was one of the first professional female flat race jockeys in Ireland and one of only two at the time during the 80s. And I was there in quite a male-dominated environment. Traditionally, it's getting better now and I'm I'm the product of all the female stand-ups who came before me who didn't have an easier time as I might have had or rather a harder time. And then my cousin James is a drag artist who loves horses and he came second in the Netflix show Glow Up, which is all about makeup. And he embraces makeup and high heels and things that I don't really wear. And he did this amazing photo shoot where he's in the farm on a horse in full dragon makeup and high heels racing on his horse. And I was like, we have a lack of relationship with gender in our family that's probably helped us more than it's hindered us. That we sort of got to be, have a little sort of summer camps from gender. Yeah. You studied French and philosophy at Trinity College in Dublin. So what was your student diet like? Italian food is a cuisine that is absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much for everything you contribute to the world, Italian food. But I think over my student days, there was so much pasta that it'll always feel like an echo of being stuck. Which shape of pasta did you go for? Penne. Penne was your go-to. In a country that didn't grow up with pasta... Penne was the one people would buy in in bulk. That and cheese and and I had pesto for the first time when I was at university. So those jars of salty pesto, you know, it's so never fresh, not fresh pesto. I didn't even know it came fresh until probably embarrassingly recently, yeah. So you graduate and then you just decided on a whim to move to London. Why did that happen? It wasn't a whim, to be honest. My best friend in the world, Brona C. Titley, who I still collaborate with and is a brilliant comedy writer and comedy actress, and she had moved to go to drama school and she was the year ahead of me at university. And, like, I've never wanted to do anything else other than what I'm doing now. So even through university, I was, like, trying to, like, write and act and I was in a play every three weeks at Trinity. And then... So I went to drama school, I go, that's like, how do you even get into something? How do you even get into the industry? So I got into Lambda and had a really rough time at drama school. I loved everyone in my class, but it's quite a rough, intense 
mm. culture shock and then kind of came out and then you're an out of work actor. So it's a similar feeling in just different locations. And the foods that match that are some kind of stew, which, you know, bolognese is, shepherd's pie is, fish pie. It's a stew of items chopped up with yeah. mash on top. And mash is your hug like, and underneath is whatever's in the fridge. It does sound a little bit like Ready, Steady, Cook. Ready, Steady, Cook was my favourite programme at university. I loved what you just have like, OK, now go and just see what happens. And I think I'm always better off the cuff than prepared. And I still treat life like Ready, Steady, Cook. OK, so this morning I was asked to make a list of what was in my fridge. I'm starting to realise why now. Read it out to me. It's very evocative when um, people read to me from the fridge. Um, and I'll, I'll put together a, a something with potato on top. OK, so I went into my fridge this morning and there was some Russian fudge yoghurt. Uh, my other half loves meat. He loves so, so everything gets quite meaty there. Like a uh, really like a, a rare breed T-bone steak. Was He's not going to be happy when I chop that up for the pie. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely yeah. I mean, I, there'll definitely be some cheese, but I've got um, I've got a little punnet of uh, mini baby bells going on at the moment. Lovely, lovely. Any vegetables at all? Vegetables, definitely. There's some broccoli, which at the moment it's beginning to classify as vintage. Great, great yellow tops. That's exactly what we're looking for. Uh, any other, any other, is there a tin of tomatoes in your house? Always. There's there's plenty tins of tomatoes. We have ourselves. In the house at the now moment. you will have to pop out to the shops to get some potatoes. The potatoes I want, you will not find in England. They're called um, Queen's potatoes. They're only available in Ireland, ironically. And they're very floury potatoes. Floury potatoes make the best mash. Um, but we'll settle for some kind of like mashing potatoes. So hop out and I'll start. We will chop up the stalks of the broccoli because that is, I hate food waste as well. This is going to be fine. And then we're going to add maybe some, which is a thing I discovered in England, Lee and Perrins. Don't have that yes. in Ireland. Already you've got yourself a great dish here. Oh, chop up your baby bells and then put whatever other cheese you have. And I would bloody... Try just a spoon of that old Russian fudge yogurt and see what happens in the mash, just to give it an edge. And then add some salt. They're always doing that in MasterChef. You've been on it loads of times where they'll like, you know, put a sweet thing in. So is the pie challenge something you used to do when you were back struggling to find work? Yeah, and we're still, it's not even a challenge. It wasn't even always just to do with money. It's just like tiredness to go out and it's very easy. It's an easy way to cook. And I think there's something about that that just feels comforting easy to digest kindness feels like yes. that's what mash is with a bit of something I think that's maybe the most beautiful thing anyone said on comfort eating yes. <laughs> oh, fantastic <laughs> even though you're secretly thinking but this is also easy to digest pile of shite <laughs> you've said before that London was where you went mad and ended up finding yourself what, what does that mean? Well, I kind of thought I did find myself, but now in the last two weeks I've been back in Ireland and I have felt a bit more like, oh, here I am. And I think maybe moving to London was such a difference that I did find parts of myself I didn't know. But now London's been my home for like 15 years and especially in the last year and a half. I used to spend a lot of time between London and America, but the pandemic kind of put, put an end to that. But maybe going home suddenly to Ireland felt like a foreign country suddenly. And I did mm, just remember yeah. in the last two weeks a bit of myself I'd forgotten about, like... Um, you know, in um, in the movie, I think it's Hook, uh, the little boy goes, there you are, Peter. 
at Peter Pan. And that's sort of what I felt like. I was like, there you are, Ashling. I think as you get older, the things that you run away from and the place that you're from and you sneered about in your kind of teenage way, you go back and you just appreciate them all and you realise it's actually rather lovely. Ireland's amazing. Like, I did, I've never thought Ireland wasn't amazing, but I really, I did definitely appreciate my country um, a lot more on this last journey. You can hear the rest of my conversation with Ashleen B in just a minute. See you on the other side. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. After a few years of trying to get into acting, you started stand-up and in 2012, you won the Gilded Balloon So You Think You're Funny Award. Soon, you're getting TV gigs, you become a team leader on 8 out of 10 Cats and in the last couple of years, your on-screen career has become colossal. You performed your stand-up in a Netflix special, you appeared in ITV's Quiz. I just get the impression that you're just constantly working. When you're spending all day filming, how do you make sure you get fed? It's really difficult to eat properly when you're filming. And end of 2017, 2018 and 2019, I was working nonstop. I did Living With Yourself, which was the Netflix show with Paul Rudd in New York. And it was such a long time on sets with catering and you're rarely in your house. You're, you get home late. You're not able to cook a lot. Hence the potato waffles. And the only thing I can rely on when I'm filming and acting is breakfast. That's the only meal I know I can sort of start before like the day will throw stuff at you, especially with um, This Way Up, because I've got so many jobs on it. I'm execing it and writing it and in it and in most scenes like an egomaniac. And it's really stressful, to be honest. And um, especially this time around with COVID, it was a pretty awful experience, to be honest. So for every single job I'm on... Breakfast is my big thing from catering. And it's always two poached eggs, normally two hash browns or whatever potato-based thing they have in there, two slices of brown toast. Uh, and I, I always sound like a bit of a diva because I'm like, can you just make sure it's real butter? Yeah. And that it's buttered top to toe. You can't have too much butter. And so butter <laughs> all of those two slices of toast, two eggs for protein, all the tomatoes and whatever green things are there. 
like a sort of shot in the dark at health at a time when your health is probably going to decline. And it's a really weird thing because as an actor, you have to eat your breakfast in your trailer. But normally the place to eat it is opposite a mirror and you have your like mirror with lights on it. And so you're in a caravan. This is glamour. Eating like sloppy bread and eggs, looking at yourself. And if only there's a cover for the mirror, because it's not a great it's not a great look. You've said that this way up has been stressful to do at times in both seasons. Your character has so much energy and humour, so much physical movement, but then there's also like a deep sadness. There's a raw emotion. Is that taking a lot out of you? Are you exhausted by the end of every day? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and by the end of the writing process, you just want to stop and not have to work anymore. And you're like, oh no, now we have to film it. And yeah. it definitely puts a lot of pressure on anyone who's solo going through it. Yeah, it's definitely too many, too many jobs, too many, many jobs. And, you're, and the fear is that you're always doing something badly because mm-hmm. of how tired you are. And how that starts coming out is like snapping more, more emotional emails, typos. And that's not, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. you, and it, does, it doesn't come out in a nice way. It's not like you're like, oh, I really need a nap, but I'll have a coffee. Like that's stage one that's what tiredness looks like by the end you're just not the person you want to be oh I just literally broke a pen off there I love the fact that as you were talking to me about stress you've just smashed a pen in half and that's how I feel about writing now (laughs) (laughs) you said that when you were young you were very impatient for success so do you think if little you could see you now would she be satisfied with what you've got no oh my god what a failure no, I have no Oscars. Um, I have yet to own a mansion in LA with a hundred Labradors. This is like, yeah, she would have absolutely said, what a failure. But what I think I've realised, I don't actually need success. I need play and flow. And I don't love being the lead in a show. I love being with someone else. And I write better when I'm with someone else. And I play and I come home energised and... The one thing, not to blow my own horn, but the one thing I love is other funny people. Some funny people need to be the funniest person in the room. I become funnier when I'm around other funny people. And I love and collect in my life funny people who spark up my brain. And I love having people to play with. If you had to write me a letter today again, apologising for your behaviour, what would you say? (laughs) I would say, dear Grace, I'm sorry for all of the technical issues including the fact that I've lost one ear pod. So I hope the sound is as crispy as a potato waffle twice down in the toaster because I'm just shouting at the laptop uh, with no headphones in. I really did think I had two ear pods when I left my mother's house and was devastated. And she has signed this letter. So she really does think that I, I genuinely didn't mean... <laughs> I didn't mean it. And I'm sorry if at times you asked one question and my answer lasted seven <laughs> minutes and had nothing to do with it. Assigned Helen O'Sullivan, my mother. <laughs> Darling, I don't need any more apologies. It's been an absolutely exquisite time comfort eating with you. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you so much. And, you know, Heinz, Bird's Eye Waffles, Kerry Gold, feel free to send me out to Free Butter Guide. I'm just waiting. I've been 10 years in the game now trying to talk about you guys and still no butter, still no butter. <laughs> 
This episode was produced by Hannah Moore. The series producer is Leah Green and the executive producer is Kathy Drysdale. Music is by Axel Kokitie and sound design by Samuel Anani. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. I'll be back on Tuesday. This is The Guardian. 